talking piano, but I could understand your piano language. It, you were Han Solo to my Wookiee, but yeah. it was but with piano keys. It would oh, be almost be like so R2-D2 with his like beeps and whistles, oh but it would gosh. be all piano notes. Yeah, it would be like, he'd be like, you would say like, Colin, Colin, come on, stop getting so upset. <laughs> I know, but we have 20 minutes left in the episode. <laughs> He does have a point, people. <laughs> Let's just do an entire episode like that and just see what people say. I would love to put that on Patreon. <laughs> I would love to do this on Patreon. That would be so good. Okay. Well, I, I, I think that is a fantastic idea for an episode. We we don't do enough goofy stuff anymore. I think we really need to get back That's into true. that. It's been a long time and we've been so serious. <laughs> I think that we should take a moment of silence. Um, in honor of Bob not being here. Yeah. So, Bob, take it away. Yeah, for anybody that's, um, if anybody's listening right now. See that moment right of now, silence? See that? <laughs> I'm just very sad to report that Bob is no longer with us. I mean, he's fine, but he's just not mm-hmm. with us right now. So, yep. you know. So, we miss he's a... Yeah, so Bob Bob uh, is doing what he needs to be doing right now mm-hmm. for his family. So he asked us to go ahead and do a two-man episode. I don't like it. I don't like the precedent of it. Bob is a houseplant. There's no, you know, going back on that. That's but, true. He's not just an honorary houseplant or like a deputized houseplant. He's a full born, stuck in the soil, in the sunlight, just like us. So, um, but yeah, so... Let's just let's just roll on this thing. Let's just get this uh, heinous non-Bob episode over with. Yeah, it'll probably be terrible. So we don't have Bob to rein us in. Um, mm-hmm. All chaos will break loose. Dogs yep. and cats living together in <laughs> sin. I I don't I don't have Bob to say. Well, Colin, I'm not sure about that. He's <laughs> he's the that's true. He's the Chucky Finster to my Tommy. Ah, yes. From the regrets. All right, you ready to start? Let's go. I'm Zach. I'm Colin. And, and welcome, welcome to the, to the House Plants Podcast. Podcast. So, um, sad that Bob is not uh, chiming in, but, you know, you're missing one of the three homies. So, there you go. But, yeah. We're here to talk about... Um, so... Wait, doesn't he... No, I say music... Yeah, so we'll have to, let's just both say them. One, two, three. Music, media, media, and and the the mission mission of of Jesus. Jesus. I really wonder how well that will sync up. We'll just have to see. We'll just have to see. We'll just have Ah, to see. Jinx. Um, So, um, as you guys have remembered from the last episode, um, we have started doing more, um, we've done some, like, one-off episodes. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've been doing, like, last time we did the uh, kind of music writing stuff. So now we are kind of returning again to a subject that mm-hmm. we did um, once before with Martin Luther. Was that right? Or Charles Wesley? We Who did, did we Luther. We have not yet ventured into the world of Wesley. <laughs> the wild okay, world so. of Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Um, so... Um, so what we've decided is we're gonna we're going to return again to a 
um, a theologian and kind mm-hmm. of talk about him and his impact on the church. And I think this one is particularly important. Yeah. But Zach was actually the one who originally brought this to my attention uh, because Zach informed me of this guy and his importance in the Council of Nicaea. I thought oh, that... there we have Rain. Oh, hi, Rain. Rain chiming in. Rain can take Bob's spot. Oh, I wish. <laughs> um, I <sighs> thought that it would be interesting to go back even further. So, like, we um, had done Luther, I think, and uh, we've not done anybody who was present, like, at the Council of Nicaea or anybody like that. And I think a lot of our listeners uh, will find it really cool to hear about um, an early Christian father. So we're going back to, like, 290-something to 330-something. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. So um, we uh, we are going to obviously do another worship song. We uh, For everybody who doesn't know who's been listening along, we've been doing these, like, post-processed worship songs that mm-hmm. I, I would say are undoubtedly better quality because we have more time to work on them and they're not just done live. But yeah. at the same time, they take us a little bit longer to to edit and to get right. And so um, we are kind of just leaving this worship slot opened uh, for whatever we write next. Yes. Um, now, as we, as we kind of get back into a better schedule, we'll be able to kind of give you the more... Uh, the precursor to what the worship song's about. But again, we're going to have to just say, here's our worship song for the week, and we hope you enjoy it. So We trust God in this moment yeah. right now that whatever we, we end up putting together in the future will be right <laughs> and will fit right in. So. so without further ado, here it is. My soul, my Savior God, to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee, how great Thou art. How great thou art, how great thou art. Through the woods and forest glades I wander, I hear the the gentle breeze. 
then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. But when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sing Him to die, I scarce can take it. my soul, my Savior God to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee, how great Thou God, thank you for this time um, that we can come together uh, over the internet, um, still coming together, and talking about you, and talking about one of your uh, followers, one of your theologians, one of your uh, great minds that followed you so fervently. And uh, so uh, tonight we ask that you would be a part of it, and um, we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Very um, cool. So, uh, Zach, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about Mr. Saint uh, Bishop. Mr. Um, Saint Bishop? Deacon. Yeah. Eighth, Athen. Athen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was not sure. I've heard people say Athanasius. I think it might be Athanasius, though. Um, I think it's Athanasius yeah. only because there is other people from sainthood like Saint Ignatius. Okay, that, and, that makes and, sense. And, and, Ignatius, and, and, yeah. I know that sometimes they're spelled slightly differently, like yeah. S-C-I-O-U-S. It's a very kind like, of Greek sort of name, which is interesting. So he was kind of a Greek person, a Greek thinker, spoke Greek, but he was from Egypt. He's from uh, Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, back then, Egypt had a lot of Greek people living there, actually. <laughs> right. So it was, very, it was under the Roman Empire, uh, very influenced by the Greeks at this point. Um, but I still think it's really cool that one of our very early church fathers, who was super influential, is a person who's from Africa. Like, 
that's just a super cool thing that I think a lot of people um, don't really know. Um, but a lot of the early influence of the church was African in origin. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. People lived in Africa in the Bible? Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Not in, not in England <laughs> or uh That's true. Germany yeah, and we were or, talking about um we talked about the British Isles a few episodes back and at this point, I mean, it was just a bunch of like Celtic like druids and stuff. It was even before like our St. <laughs> Patrick talk, a couple right, centuries exactly. predating that. But basically, Athanasius was a theologian. He was a pastor, eventually became a bishop. He was famous for assisting at the Council of Nicaea, and he gave some arguments against Arianism there. Um, He studied under a bunch of different influential people. He studied under uh, somebody named St. Anthony who's known for kind of starting the monastic tradition. He was a guy who lived in the desert and like prayed and um, kind of lived in a monastery. He's also kind of famous for like spending his days like praying against demons. And he actually wrote about like seeing demons in the desert and like fighting them off. And Athanasius was definitely a ascetic. Ascetic. Yeah. Uh, Which is a word that kind of means like monastic, like laying aside your, you know, physical needs. All desires. All desires. They were like the Jedi, you know. Yeah. They even lived in the desert of, you know. Oh, so you're saying that Jedi, (laughs) you're saying that these these belief guys, these ascetic guys, uh, we have it all wrong about them. In fact, um, they are encouraged to love. The Jedi are forbidden to love. (laughs) <laughs> they are encouraged to love. <laughs> no, we are encouraged to love. <laughs> <laughs> right. So they have to they have to love all living yeah, things. I don't can't have I, personal I'm not sure if St. Anthony hated sand, but he lived where there was a lot of it and so did Athanasius. Athanasius It's coarse and irritating, I know yeah, that. Athanasius wrote a biography about Saint Anthony, and so that's where we get a lot of our information about him. He also trained under the Deacon of Alexandria named Alexander, or Qui Gon Jinn to Qui Gon Liam friends. Neeson. <laughs> <laughs> and then we were just talking about Athanasius's like forty six years as a bishop. That's how long he was the bishop of Alexandria, and most of that time he was exiled. <laughs> so, so yeah, this will be interesting to talk about for sure. Um. If you want, Zach, I'll give like a, a yeah, brief you should. little history. Um, so, so let's let's get into it because I want to get I want to like kind of make sure our notes mm-hmm. are are solid on this guy. You have uh, who he was. Yeah, so I kind of cool so I I looked up a bit of the early life and how he grew up and was educated under Saint Anthony and then under Alexander. Yeah. He eventually so becomes he, a bishop of Alexandria, and this is where the trouble begins. This right. is where the fun so, begins, as so, the Jedi uh, would So, do say. you have the actual, like, <laughs> what is the actual date and, like, like year of the Council of Nicaea? Okay, do you remember? I believe that is 325. Yeah, okay, 325. So, it, so, in, so, so that, I have that right, too. So, this guy was trained in Alexandria, mm-hmm. and Alexandria, as you've already said, is... Yeah, is like a holy major city. It's in Egypt, in, but it's very Egypt. Greek at this point. Right. Yeah. So by 300 AD, it's 
become very Greekified. And that's what was interesting about what we talked about with our Irish episode. They had like the kind of the mixture of mm-hmm. Egyptian, Roman, and like sort of like Celtic influence mm-hmm. at this point. So anyway, um, this so Athanasius is. I assume he's young because of how long he lived. Yeah, uh, but I assume yeah, he was he's around probably, for a while. I'm gonna assume he's in his uh, you know late teens, early twenties at this point as like mm-hmm. a young. But he 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 becomes um, the Padawan. <laughs> he does he at at in three twenty five um, at the Council of Nicaea, Nicaea he was a deacon mm-hmm. under Alexander yeah and so what's interesting like about an that turn when this like giant argument yeah. happened and a big council came together to resolve oh it. yeah <laughs> so what I think is interesting just to like set the groundwork is that he is kind of like the younger like. Um, what I would say, a convicted and like ambitious Christian at this point. Yeah, because he sees what all takes place, and in his mind, he has that like pureness of thought of like, I'm old enough to understand yeah. that this decision is correct, but I'm young enough to like be brave enough to like fight fight for it against older people that are like kind of turning their nose up at it. And so, when the Council of Nicaea thing happen you know when all the stuff happens there that happens and I want Zach to mention more mm-hmm. of that he is like yeah I'm all about this like I think this is all right and correct but then immediately afterwards um uh he was I guess a candidate to succeed Alexander but Alexander died in 328 and so for a little while he was considered you know top brass and he hung out with a lot of monks and he hung out in Egypt uh, but he soon began to struggle with politics because these Arians showed up and these other guys, the Miletians, and both of them... So Arians believed that um, Jesus was was created by God and would potentially be yes. lesser than God, maybe more than a man, somewhere between man and angel, something yes. like that, but was not, was not God himself. And I believe, and I think a lot of studies agree... That it's because of the Greek and Roman influence uh, that said, you know, this guy couldn't have been God because yeah. then God is more powerful than us. I think, and yeah, it's two things because uh, I wonder if it's that. But I also wonder if you got to remember that, like, Plato was the most influential writer by this point. Yeah. And oh, the yeah. platonic thought is that, like, heaven and earth can't touch each other because the physical like world is corrupted and kind of bad. And like heaven is like this perfect transcendent thing. And so like you're in platonic thought, what you want to do is it's kind of similar to the asceticism sort of thing where you want to like divorce yourself from like the worldly desires. And so I wonder if there's also kind of this like need to keep Jesus's hands clean. Yeah. You know, if, if he were God, he couldn't have been human because that's just dirty. And so they uh, they must have thought, like, A, and for anybody to be God and human, they'd be more powerful than the emperor, and that's a problem. But then also, yeah, exactly. for God to be anything less than God is also a problem. <laughs> and so, so they had to kind of separate right. him out a little bit for it to make sense to them. And so, right, and so one of the things that's interesting, which... As modern Christians, we can look at the Trinity now and understand 
truly why the scriptures support the Trinity. Mm -hmm. Even though the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, and there's never, like, a scripture that flat out says, like... Yeah. Hey, God is three parts that, you know... Like, it does say it, it just not, like, in one sentence where it lines it all out perfectly. It, It was determined that because not only by the... Um, like you know, by the accounts of Jesus and then the scriptures that were written, that I mean, yeah. it's this is what theological, this is what theologians do. They they go in and they dissect the mm-hmm. scripture and they determine the real truth of the scripture. Yeah, I mean, and you so, just read um, John one, starting in the very beginning of the chapter. It says, "In the beginning, the word." In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so basically there's a very strong words that accurately describe Jesus as the Word and as equal to the Father, like... Well, the idea that the the word was with the word was with God and the word was God means that if you are both parts next to something and are something, I know that can split the brain of any thinking person, but that is that is how God exists. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and uh, Arians, I guess they kind of they need to make Jesus lesser because that's however their worldview determines that we don't. Right. That's I mean, we don't sense. know how many yeah. we don't know how many theologians of the Aryan belief were actually just trying to find the legitimate truth mm-hmm. of the scripture and who and, who, and which ones were actually yeah. inspired by political and, you know, whatever gains. But uh, so at this point, at the, in like 328 and beyond, uh, he had dealt with this political stuff and both from the Miletians uh, under uh, yeah. Miletius of Macopolis. Uh, I think that's how you say it. Um, he was a bishop, and they had this schism where people who had either fallen away or renounced their faith or did anything wrong couldn't be allowed back in the church. Yeah. And he was also not about that life. So he was like, listen, you guys are doing political stuff. Mm-hmm. The Arians are doing political stuff. And I'm just over here saying that at the Council of Nicaea, we all agreed on this stuff. Yeah. And we set it in stone and said, this is the truth of the scriptures. And now you're all turning around and yeah. trying to change your mind. He was sticking to later. like the interpretation that was like faithful to the New Testament writers thinking. And Alexander yeah. and Alexander, who oversaw yeah. that he was the bishop, he Alexander was was all about that, too. Mm-hmm. So he was just like, hey, if I'm going to believe in what, what Alexander believed, who, uh, you know, I was his like deacon. I'm not just going to turn around like five years later and decide that it didn't happen. So was uh, St. Nicholas where we get um, Santa Claus from. Yeah, that's right. He was at the Council of Nicaea too. He really had beef with Arius. (laughs) (laughs) And so, right. And so the, the, the issue was that though the Council of Nicaea made decisions, mm-hmm. there were people who not only opposed the decisions, but later, but like treated them like they were fine until Alexander died. And then we're like, yeah, we're going yeah. back on all this stuff. And it's really and funny he, too, that like a lot of the Aryans ended up being the ones with a lot of political power because that's what the emperors ended up supporting. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> well, that's the point. That's yeah. that's the real point of it. Is that yes, um, people stood behind um, Athanasius because they were he was in line to succeed Alexander, and they saw him that way. But when the when Rome got involved, when Constantine got involved, yeah. uh, when they were like, uh, "Listen, I am backing up these people because they back me up, and we're opposing you." Athanasius was like, I still won't like deny that this is yeah. not true. So, so eventually he, so he gets some, he has some flack and some heat from politics. Um, and they started to try and twist it and say mm-hmm. that like Arians and Miletians were being mistreated. They, people were being hostile towards yeah. them, which, which he was like, that's not true. Um, and then also a lot of the bishops that try to make their own like kind of like bully council, he was like, I don't recognize your council in 335 mm-hmm. either. And so they kept trying to like sort of like undo some things from the Nicaea, like from the Council of Nicaea. And so then he became like the sole sort of like face of like upholding the legitimacy of the council. Yeah. So for years and years, he was accused of in- threatening to interfere with Egypt's grain supply. And yeah just whatever they could think of to try and get him in trouble. And so Constantine uh, did that to him and exiled him. And so then later Constantine died and he was Uh allowed to return to Alexandria. But then Constantine's son was like, no, you're banished. I don't like (laughs) you either. My dad didn't like you. I don't like you. And then Athanasius was like, okay, well, I guess I'll have to, I'll have to go to Rome. (laughs) I'll have to go to Rome and chill with, uh, Constantine's other son, Constans, yeah. and be with him. And then uh, th- th- because he had to leave and go to Rome, mm-hmm. Alexandria was then led by an Arian bishop named Gregory. So they like completely flip-flopped and made Alexandria so the government the place took the pastor they, that they didn't like out of there and then put a new yes, pastor in. installed their own, yeah. right, which is, we, we've seen this uh, in modern times. Uh-huh. But um, so they installed him in Alexandria. So now Alexandria is of the Arian belief system. Athanasius, however, kept in touch with his flock through annual festal letters, which we'll talk about too ah, some more yes. with uh, with Zach. He and, was uh, using correspondence to get the boys together. That's right. And so then Pope Julius the First wrote uh, some stuff trying to help him out. Sort of yeah. like tried to say like, "Hey, listen, this guy actually is knows what he's talking about." Um, and, um, like he tried to like call for another council to like get his banishment like lifted and it wasn't successful. Um, and so then eventually, uh, Constans, this guy who's like the other brother that's sort of nice to Athanasius and wants him to like kind of. He's he's allowing him to like believe what he believes and have his own belief system and maybe potentially su- support that belief system, even though it might be detrimental to the theology of Roman politicians. Um, when he finally does do that for Athanasius, when he finally like uses his own yeah. sway, uh, Athanasius is allowed to come back, and at that point, he is considered a hero in Egypt. So they're like, oh, he's great. He's a, he's a, he, he's a guy who uh, stood by his convictions. Yeah. And everybody was like, cool, that's great. And then of course, Const, uh, Constant, 
Constantius, the the mean brother, is like, mm-hmm. nope, nope. I'm pro Arian. So after, let me see. So now we're in like 350 AD, and there's that civil war. But in that time, he wrote a bunch of other stuff about the Arians and about his, he wrote some apologetic stuff. But then eventually, uh, Constans dies, the nice brother, yeah. and so the mean brother's like. Well, we're banishing you again, and I'm sick of your crap. You, you're, you're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna make Arianism not a thing because I'm the emperor of Rome, and uh, no, nobody's like above me, and yada yada yada. So, um, he kept moving around over and over and over again, and eventually, Constantius dies um, in I think 361. And then this unpopular guy named George takes over. Um, and George allowed a- a- Athanasius to return to, uh, I think, Alexandria. But then uh, in 362, um, during the Synod of Alexandria, he appealed for, like, the unity and and decided he wanted to, like, just go full force with the Trinity stuff. Yeah. About God He's, and three persons. He basically so, said, like, listen, Arianism is the real obstacle here. We are people who all agree on the Trinity. We just use, like, slightly different language. You know? Right. Yeah. So the George so the George guy gets murdered mm-hmm. right after Constantius. But in that time, because there was such an upheaval of, like, leadership and emperors, he was able to come back to Alexandria because nobody had, like... They were like, well, we have bigger fish to fry. We have to, like, get a guy mm-hmm. to be the leader. So in that time, he was able to just push his doctrines about tr- the Trinity. But then Julian the Apostate shows up, uh, and he's like, I'm banishing you. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, he's like, fine, I'll just leave. And then uh, <laughs> and then Julian dies, and then 365, a new Emperor Valens... Uh, shows up and he's like, I'm super Arianism. Yep. And he exiles him again. Yeah. So he's. And so he, <laughs> he kept popping back and forth, being yeah. exiled over and Nearly over again. Nearly 50 years of just being exiled and coming back and exiled and yeah, coming 40, back. 48, yeah, 48 years of his mm-hmm. life spent being exiled and coming back. And uh, eventually he passed away uh, in, in 373. So that's just a brief history yeah. of his life. But during all of those times when he returned to Alexandria, he spent those years writing theological works. Yeah. He wrote letters. He wrote the four orations against Arians. Basically, what he was doing was solidifying the validity yes. of the Council of Nicaea, the the nature of Jesus, the nature of the Holy Spirit, um, and really the differentiation between Jesus and the Father. Um, yeah. And then sort of kind of also... Uh, sort of taking the road behind the Arianism Mm -hmm. defense and saying like, well, here's how Arianism is, is not true and picking that apart. Yeah. I mean, Um, that's the thing, like, you know, even to this day when you hear Christians explaining their beliefs and they say that Jesus was both fully human and fully God at the same time, that is partially because Athanasius and others brilliantly defended it. You know, that's what scripture teaches. Um, but he was able to make it a concise argument. Um, and I think eventually that argument was able to win out. 
Now, there are still people who don't believe it, but um, Jesus being, you know, his nature kind of um, fully fleshed out, no pun intended, <laughs> but he's he's fully God and fully man. And that's the takeaway right. that we get. And it's he's one of the very early influencers of that. So it's kind of part of his legacy. He's also like really well respected by all branches of Christianity. So Protestants um, read his works. Catholics actually venerated him as a saint. Um, and even the Eastern Orthodox Church, which when you think about it, their roots are like back from like Alexandria and other oh, yeah. places in the Middle East. So yeah. they respect him very highly as well. And so one last thing I'll say, because we've already, we, we crossed by it, but we're going to head like I'm going to kind of reverse gears and come yeah. back to this because at the Synod of Alexandria, which is in 361, or sorry, 362. Yeah. At that point, he was considered the bishop of Alexandria. Yeah. So, um, when when that happened, and the he he began his kind of like explanations about the Trinity and everything, he also made like a huge thing about the Holy Spirit. Yes. Um, he said explicitly that the Holy Spirit is not a created being, mm-hmm. and it is of the same substance as the Father and the Son. Yeah. And it is clearly defined in the Christ logical terms, person and substance. Yeah, he said um, the same things about the Holy Spirit that he said about Jesus. Right, and know. so and so, what's interesting about that is that the reason the Metalians or whatever they're called were opposing to him is because a lot of times when all those different times he would come back, he would say all of these people who maybe have, like, left the church, you can, like, come back because I have, like, stuff to teach you. Yeah. And they'd be like, they're not allowed back. And he's like, you're just saying that because now they don't believe in Arianism anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, yeah, they they refuted our things, so now they're not allowed to come back. So, all right, anyway, yeah. so... so uh, one more thing that's before the we get into the, the writings. Like, all of this with him, you know, fighting against the Roman government, against other Christians who call themselves Arians... Um, he had a lot of different opponents. And so he was eventually kind of given this nickname and this kind of encompasses his whole story. Um, but he was called, um, Athanasius Contramundus or con yeah. sorry, Contramundum. That means Athanasius against the world. That's kind of like his, uh, Marvel Avenger name, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would definitely, um, if there was, see, I've always wished that there was like some kind of like biblical figures, um, like adventure game where you could like pick yeah. your character. It's either like a 2D side scroller where you fight yeah. or something like that. But uh, I would definitely have Athanasius as one of the characters. Yeah, that's awesome. I imagine it kind of like um, the X Men arcade game that we just recently played on our last trip. We went to this arcade and they had like a really old, like, uh, um, it had like this X-Men game where you could like pick between like Storm or Wolverine or uh, Nightcrawler and it was like multiplayer. You get like four people on there as once well. just like just a yeah. beat em up. Yeah, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. It's a beat em up. It's yeah. a side scroller beat em up. Yeah. So, yeah, you could have like all the different biblical figures and they could have like their different powers and stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway, that would be awesome. So, that would be pretty awesome. All right, so, uh, okay, so, Zach, now that we've gone through his mm-hmm. life, 
Let's talk about his theology, his works, his beliefs. Yeah. Um, let's talk about it. Yeah, definitely. So his two most famous works, um, one of which is like a collection of stuff, but he wrote a book called On the Incarnation, um, or I think it has a different title as well, but I think it might be the same work, but he just basically wrote, it's kind of like an apologetic defense of the nature of Jesus. And so it's how Jesus became a human being and how he was equal with the father. It's kind of where we get the fully human, fully divine nature of Jesus from. He really explains all of that. Um, And he came up with this term called um, homoousian. And that just means of the same substance. We kind of mentioned it uh, like, you know, when he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he uses the same terminology. But basically every person in the Trinity is equally God because they're equally like cut from the same like divine cloth. Or I guess I could say like they're I mean, literally it means of the same substance. So, so you know? here's 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 the other point that you made about First uh, John. Yeah. You say first John John one. John chapter John one, one. I'm sorry, not John I always do that. I always say first John when I mean John yeah. chapter one. Uh but you but you said it there. You said in the beginning the word was with God. Yeah. And the word was God. And yeah. so if Jesus is the word yep. because he says I am yeah. So um if that's the case and in mm-hmm. the, oh the opposite in the uh alternate title might have been uh the incarnation of the word of God. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, it might that that might be the one you're referring to. Uh, I think it might be the same work. But um, the 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 important thing, the distinction that maybe they didn't even make at the time in that council was that Jesus existed before he came to Earth. If that is the case, he existed from the beginning. Like he's right, timeless, just like God the Father. Yeah. Right, but that's but that's what I'm saying. Well, that's that's my point. Is that like yeah. If if you follow that line back yeah. and you and you get there, then there's no way that you can say that he was just a created right. person. Yeah, I think. Let me look up what the yeah. Nicene Creed says about that. About like it his, says, yeah, in the Nicene Creed, it starts out: "We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible." Next line. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not Not made, made. of the same essence as the Father. So all these things are in the Nicene Creed, which was adopted at the Council of Nicaea, because Arianism was teaching the exact opposite of that. When it comes to Jesus, that's um, well. So, so that's that's why yeah. it was such an egregious thing yeah. for Athanasius, and Athanasius became the champion of this. Mm-hmm. He was like, "Listen, we've already done this at this yeah. council." Alexander himself was like, "No, we're upholding this." Yeah. The only reason now why you're trying to go against it is a the Roman influence and the political stuff, yeah. and b because uh, Alexander died. Yeah. And you don't want me to like uphold his ideal, so yeah. you're trying to like shut me down. See. And so yeah. Yeah. So Constantine kind of converted the empire to Christianity, right? In but a way. What, but what people don't understand is that just because 
just because the um, just because the political factions decided to call themselves Christian didn't mean that they adopted the right beliefs. And so Arianism was very, very popular amongst a lot of people in the empire and it was wrong. And so Athanasius almost kind of became like the first famous apologist. Mm. That's what he was doing. He was defending the biblical view of who Jesus is. Right. Because that's important to the gospel. His yeah. and his works would go on to be about a lot of about apologist works, apologetic stuff. Yeah, and that was it's interesting because he calls them apologies. When I first became a Christian, I'm like, these aren't apologies though; these are like convincing mm-hmm. people of stuff. Yeah, I don't understand why they are called apologies. I think that's like, the uh, that's the original use of the word. Maybe. Right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so then he wrote the Incarnation. Uh, he said that Jesus was homoousian with the Father, um, same substance. He's begotten of the Father, as in, like, he's his son, but he's not made. Um, mm. It's a very important distinction. He also wrote the letters, um, which can sometimes be called the letters of St. Athanasius. This wasn't like a book that he put together. It's just he wrote a ton of letters and later some people ended up putting the letters together into like one volume. Uh, so I think well, there the might be he, different versions the, the, of it. Yeah. The reason he ended up writing so many letters is because he was always like on the <laughs> move. Trying to, <laughs> I mean, he was trying to, he yeah. was, he was in a lot of ways he was trying to stay in touch with yeah. a people he knew would follow him, but were living in an area that was highly like controlled and, and, yep. and like, when he was when he was he doing kept up the stuff correspondence, because, right? Well, like he he would keep in touch even though mm-hmm. he was like kind of far away, um, and and essentially by doing that, there was like still the secret like belief in all of that, and so they couldn't completely snuff it out, regardless of how much they tried to yes. install their own bishops and stuff. Yes, the government of Rome completely endorsed Arianism and they even endorsed for their it. own gain. They I even mean, endorsed they probably it probably really for their own it. gain. Yeah. But yeah. it was to the point to where they were choosing pastors. Like they were literally coming into Egypt and saying, Nope, this Bishop out, throw this Bishop in. <laughs> and so like, like, you know, they yeah. were exercising a massive amount of power and yet still that couldn't snuff this, belief out like you're saying because it's based on the scripture and so people were just seeing the scriptures for what they were and, and I, have, I have already done this beforehand comparing Athanasius now that I've looked up some of his stuff I compared Athanasius to Luther oh yeah I know it's not a, I know it's not exactly a one for one but I do know this Luther met a lot of political and religious opposition mm-hmm. and definitely they they banished him in a lot of ways. Uh, they, they more like canceled him. They didn't like throw yeah. him out of Germany or anything, but um, they were like, you need to recant all of this stuff. And so instead of that, way back when, um, Athanasius was just told like, you're out of this country. And I think that was probably the easier solution than f- to have him like publicly recant because... Back then, yeah. as long as you just like got rid of somebody, they couldn't speak anyway. Yeah. But 
lo and behold, he was sending letters. So mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he was secretly sending lots of yeah. letters to people. <laughs> you know, you do what you can. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I think God was using him to write this correspondence. And I think maybe we don't understand the purposes of God. Maybe it was more powerful this way than it could have been if he was allowed to just stay and preach in person. Cause now we have all these letters that have all these brilliant defenses of the divinity of Jesus. I just think, um, the words of Dr. Ian Malcolm <laughs> ring true, <laughs> you know, uh, even when the odds are against you, sometimes life, uh, 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 finds, uh a finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in, in this, in, in, in this instance, God finds a way. Yes. So even with like everything against him, um, the theology, the true theology of Jesus, uh, the the true understanding of his uh, of of the nature of the Trinity was mm-hmm. was upheld and revealed. Yeah. The other cool thing about the letters was that he talks about the Holy Spirit, and so that's kind of where we start getting our doctrine of the Holy Spirit from. That the Holy Spirit is a full member of the Trinity, just like the Father or the Son. You know, co-equal, homoousian. See, and as you people will have heard on this last episode, um, I, I, I wrote this uh, new hymn, um, and uh, one of the things that I tried to keep, which is something Jonathan Powers and a few other of our guests mentioned, is the idea of including all aspects of the Trinity yeah. in, your, in your worship song, yeah. if you can. Trinitarian. And so, and so Zach has, has kind of made that a thing going forward as well. Um, we made that kind of a sort of a, an extra icing on the cake for a lot of worship songs we critiqued with the CCLI list. Yeah. And, and so one of the things that I find to be interesting about the evolution of the church throughout, like past, you know, uh, I'm trying to remember from my, uh, history of Christian thought class. Uh, but I believe that the, the latest book to be written in the Bible, I think is Revelation. Maybe I don't think it is. You don't think it's Revelation? Hmm. Like I have a Bible that tells me like when something was written or whatever. But all I'm saying is from the from the time that the that the books were put together to the Council of Nicaea and mm-hmm. beyond, the the church has evolved a lot, and I don't mean it like the word of God has evolved, just the understanding, you know? And so one of the things that's, one of the things that's interesting about that is where the focus is in the different periods of time. So like for a very, very long time, the focus was exclusively on the father and then the focus then turned to Jesus. And then for a long time, it, it turned back to, the father and then it became like Mary as like the churches like kind of devolved a little bit, but like the Holy spirit was always playing like second or third fiddle. Yeah. I always felt like there wasn't a, like a, like a church that's like the Holy spirit is our main symbol. It was always like Jesus or the father, even the church in acts, they were like, Oh yeah, the Holy spirit's going around and doing this, but they didn't really understand like who the Holy spirit was was completely. I mean, I think they did, but I think the Holy Spirit is so mysterious to us in a lot of ways. Yeah. I feel like, to me, my theory 
is that the Holy Spirit is always, always wanting to give Jesus and God the Father all the glory. Like, Uh I feel like, I feel like he doesn't take, like, the attention for himself. Like, he's always, like, pointing us back to Jesus. (laughs) And so that's why uh, the Holy Spirit seems so much more mysterious. Like, we even struggle to, like, come up with, like, even just now, I was like, do I say he? Like... (laughs) You know, it's just yeah, kind of a mystery. It an like, it? No, I, yeah. I think if it's... I don't think it's an I, it because I do believe I, the Holy Spirit's a person, but also, like, the gender of the Holy Spirit isn't, like, a super important, like, emphasized right. well, part of Scripture. Either. Well, not just that, yeah. but, like, I, I just say he when it comes to any aspect of yes, God because... Me, yeah. Because if you think about, like, you know, God creates yeah. mostly in his image. Now, uh, there are... There are angels that are like genderless, but yeah. that's a whole nother thing. Anyway, long story short, I was just saying that in all the evolution of the church, there was always been significant uh, focus on certain mm-hmm. um, figures like the father, the son, and then, you know, like saints, like St. Peter, uh, Mary, uh, and all of this. But the Holy Spirit has never really been like the... Yeah. The um, the center point. The Holy Spirit like that always was. like shirks off the fame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're too cool yeah. for that. Yeah. But um they're the one working uh in they're the one working every single day in small ways and big ways. So. Yeah. Anyway, so okay. Zach, yes. are we on to question time? Let's do it. Okay. So I have a question and you have a question. Both okay. of them are interesting in different ways, so I'll ask my question. We should both okay. answer. How different would the church look today if <laughs> no one fought so hard for the Trinity? And I only ask that because there were many opportunities for this Trinitarian yeah. belief system to fail. Definitely. I think it's interesting to think about that because, and you know, it's you can't do alternate history <laughs> so much without really yeah. getting into like the weeds of speculation. Unless you play Civ Six yes. exactly yes. as the Church of Acts evolved yeah. and then just see where it goes. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. but I think that um what's interesting is most kind of branches of Christianity Christianity that we would say have like left the classic like Christian doctrine behind. I'm talking about like Jehovah's Witness to some extent Mormons. Um, I think that they all kind of get the Trinity wrong in some way. And I've been told this by a seminary professor too. And I remember thinking that that makes so much sense. So for instance, I'll pick on Jehovah's Witness belief. Um, They say that Jesus was lesser than God the Father. And a lot of what they say is really similar to Arianism. It's kind of interesting <laughs> when you yeah, think about it like, historically. Right. So so my my worry is that if Arianism was the the standard and then just yeah. carried on, um, where would we be as like I don't even think we would call ourselves Christians because if that's if, why, if we believe that yeah. he was, why he would was you just be little same? Christs if he was just kind of a guy? Yeah. yeah, and that's you know Jehovah's Witnesses. That means they're taking the term Jehovah, which is like a 
real English way of saying the divine name for God, which Jews would say Yahweh. Um, and they're saying that we believe in God. There's also like, I think, is it Mars Marcion? There's another heretical belief system that kind of believes that like the Old Testament God is bad. It's, yeah, I think it's Mar oh, Marcionism. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that. Yeah, the Old Testament yeah, like he, God like, was like this like mean he guy. He was mean, and then Jesus yeah. like set things, made him nicer. Yeah, set things right. Somehow. Yeah, yeah, so there's all kinds of different aberrations of the truth out there. But they almost all, when you get into kind of like what a lot of people would call cult territory, um, they always get the Trinity wrong in some way. Um, mm. Jehovah's Witnesses kind of take away from the Trinity. Um, and so do the, so do, um, so does Muslim belief in a way because they believe that God can't have a son. And so they believe Allah is just one God. There's no other God. And so, um, Jesus to them is just a prophet on the same level as, uh, Muhammad, which they don't, I was surprised to learn that they don't worship Muhammad either. He's just a prophet to them too. There's nothing but Allah. So there's no Trinity in their belief. Um, but then you get like Mormons. I feel like they kind of add like Joseph Smith in there sort of. So it's almost kind of like you're adding to the Trinity. <laughs> And a lot of those, a lot of different belief systems like that, that kind of spin off from Christianity. There's nine of them. They, yeah, there's nine of them. They almost <laughs> always kind of make it to where you can kind of become your own God. And honestly, there's a lot of people calling themselves Christians out there that are kind of sure. teaching the same thing. Like you can, you have the right. same power that Jesus had. You're just a human being just like Jesus was. And you can have the Holy Spirit just like Jesus had. And you can basically become like God. So, yeah. You can't so, become so, like God without Jesus working in you and sanctifying you. That's the only way to do it. And even then, like when we're in this life, we're still just babes in Christ, like trying to figure it out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that I think that Christianity as we know it would be completely. Yeah, it would be different. It would be it would be terrible. It would be. <laughs> It, well, I mean, it would be a shadow of itself where instead of instead of this triumphant, I mean, because think about it, um, what we know of the scriptures is that this, you know, Jesus coming and, and sacrificing himself on the cross is not the last time we've seen we're going to see Jesus. So, yeah. what if what if he's just a man coming back for a second time? I mean, mm -hmm. it's like how how triumphant is that? But anyway, I digress. Yep. So that's an interesting thing to think. Very about. different. Yeah. All right. What's the my question, the question is with basically all the incorrect teaching out there presenting itself as Christian and all the mm. different belief systems that are out there. Do you think there is a need today for someone to basically be a new Athanasius and create like some new work and kind of be a defender of biblical truth? Like, do you think somebody could rise to that position? Do you think that it would be necessary? I mean, so I think that, and you have, you have made this point to me and I, I actually, after thinking about it, have, have to agree with you that every so many hundred years, there is like a new yeah. reformation. It does and seem so, like it. And so in a way, I believe that the council of Nicaea was like the first reformation, but like, 
it's not it's not a reform. I mean, because even before that, yeah. you have like Jesus. Yeah. Like the Church of Acts is the first Reformation yeah. in a way. It's not but an believe- exact like time frame, but it does seem like Nicaea happened kind of between 300 and 500. So closer to 300 years after right, but, after Jesus was around on earth. Right, but a, apparently during that time there were a lot of these offshoots mm-hmm. of beliefs yeah. like the Metalians or whatever mm-hmm. they're called and they were a schism that like split Arianism off. itself. Arianism. Gnosticism so, started to come around too. Yeah, and yeah. so what I believe is that the Nicene Council was sort of its own like holding to the true standard yeah, there's, thing. There's always like a moment where we come back and somebody says like, hey, yeah, we got to like, and then it, whatever, things. whatever happens ends up changing the entire paradigm of the church. So then like around somewhere around like 1200. Oh, no, it was like 1040 something. That was when like the East Eastern Church and the Western Church split. That's right. And then you've got, of course, 15, early 1500s. That's when the Protestant Reformation happened. Oh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that, um, yes, I, I think that th- those those types of figures coming along are necessary, mm-hmm. specifically because throughout the scriptures, you'll see, especially in like the minor prophets leading up to the gospel, you'll see prophets show up that try and like set people right on stuff. Yeah. And, and oftentimes it, it may be met with, um, you know, like complete refusal or yeah. like apprehension or whatever. I mean, so like, I think that's the nature of the people of God's people throughout the Bible is you've got people kind of falling astray and then someone comes and then they kind of like are, taking with them a word from God to the people. And so am I, am I saying that Athanasius was a prophet? I don't, I don't know. I'd say he was a theologian for sure, but I I do think that those are necessary, especially when someone who um, like Athanasius has the conviction to say, no, this is a truth of the scripture. This is a truth about the nature of God. And we need to like, not, uh, turn a blind eye just because politics yeah. is like scaring. Us I guess right he now. was a reformer in a way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I guess, uh, I mean, it's weird because a, ref- a reformation, you know, you're reforming. Yeah. I think he was just trying to uphold. So it was yeah. like an upholdation. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think yeah, that's, but, I think that's know. how Luther saw himself too. Like he wasn't saying like, I'm going to like convert this so that we can like live into the future he was literally saying, like, let's get back to the way that the writers of the New Testament did things. So, yeah, right. every once in a while, I think we just need to be reminded of that as a church. And so I've often wondered right. if today, like, we don't need a new Council of Nicaea to kind of say, like, here's mm. the core doctrines of Christianity. And if you don't not, follow this, you're kind of outside of it. <laughs> not to uh, not to knock the pope or anything, the current pope, but like. I'm worried that a council would then like suggest we get like the head, you know? Yeah. And that would be, that would be really hard too, because if you're getting all of Christendom together, are you including the Roman Catholic church? You know, I think there would be debate about that. And yeah, 
So that kind of brings me to the next thing. Like, could an individual like rise to this level in the church? Or do you think it's even possible right now with the way things are? I don't know. I just yeah. think I think that the Roman Catholic Church stands as its own like political thing. True. And then- they and they do have political power in a lot of ways that allows them to do things that are not just focused on, you know, scriptural teaching and stuff. I just I, I think <clears throat> that it would be difficult in this day and age mm-hmm. with the way oh, that yeah. church scr- structure is yeah. now that like yeah in the past in the past there were people working within the leadership of the power uh-huh. center of of the church that were working within it and like rising over it and stuff yeah but now now the belief systems of christianity are so fractured that like the head of the catholic church most christians wouldn't consider that christianity and yeah. then, I mean, and then the heads of whatever other churches, like, you know, Baptist, Baptist, Methodism. They don't all uh, agree with each other, much Church less God. like most, Catholicism Most of them don't stuff. agree with each other. Yeah. And most of them, most of them don't really acknowledge yeah. the other's, like, authority. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what I think is kind of interesting about today. There's so much... I think one person rising to a certain level invites so much criticism because everything is so readily available. All information, all past like thoughts and writings are all like readily available. People get canceled for like tweets from like 10 years ago, stuff like that. I almost wonder if what God is going to have to do now with the church is more based on like common people who aren't even necessarily famous. Mm. Like, I think it's going to have to be like, I'm out here and I kind of know what God is telling me in terms of reading the scripture. And I know that he's called me to a certain purpose and I'm just going to be faithful to that. And then I end up meeting you out there in the dark and we're like, Hey, what's going on? Oh yeah. We both um, agree on these mm. core like principles about Christianity. Right. Let's go find okay. others and kind of like teach them this. And God's just going to kind of like make those connections. You know, I think yeah. the days of looking for like a Martin Luther or an Augustine or a John Wesley or something like that. I don't know that that tactic would work so much anymore. Cause you could just find any individual. You could just like get rid of them <laughs> if they're inconvenient. Well, not just that too, but it's like, like a lot of these events we only know about because they're chronicled in history and you know? yeah. they're like chronicled as these like events from history. And yeah. so we know the what, big I names, mean, but how many people during the time of Athanasius were just um, faithful Christians who were witnessing to what they knew the Bible was saying and right. they, their names right. aren't written down. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you had like, Unless you had, like, writings or some kind of, like, way that you, like, stuck in history, there's no way to, like, yeah. today to really, like, solidify uh, something like what Athanasius did. Yeah. Um, like, like if tomorrow I went to the Vatican and snuck in and pointed <laughs> my finger at the Pope and I said, you're, do- you're doing this wrong and I have these, yeah. I have this new doctrine for you to read. It's the new whatever uh, the new tenets of Christianity 
And he was like, I've seen the light, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, I just went away. Who's going to know about that in 300 years? No one. Right. And so it's like, unless somebody's like, we got to make sure this gets heralded and Mm -hmm. uh, photographed and written about. And somebody needs to write a book about this. And this needs to be revered on the news. You know, unless that all happens, then there's no real way. I don't think to see another kind of Athanasius or Luther, but and so it's the opinion. yeah, it's the community of God that kind of like writes and remembers those things down. That's right. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, moving on, let's yeah. do some quotes, and we'll we'll finish. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll move on and do some quotes. Um, I didn't get to mention it fully, but there is an actual creed called the Athanasian Creed. And it's kind of right up there with the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, but less famous. It might Let's be less it. famous because it's like a lot longer. So um, I'm not going to recite it or anything, but I'm just going to tell our listeners that you guys should look it up because it's really cool and kind of encapsulates a lot of his theology. Although it was not written by Athanasius. It was written, possibly written a little bit later, but it's all stuff he would sign off on. Like, for example, it says... Thus, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Yet there are not three gods, there is but one God. And so it kind of repeats like a lot of that doctrine and teaching together. I like it. Yeah. So okay. here's here are five quotes. We'll kind of just go through them really quickly. But they're just from different uh, works that Athanasius wrote. So uh, I'll read the first one, I guess. Um, he said... He became what we are so that he might make us what he is. Whoa. Yeah, he's talking about Jesus. So remember, Athanasius thought that Jesus was fully God, was co-equal with God and part of the Trinity. And so Jesus, being equal with God, became like us to make us more like him. I think that's a pretty cool like, That's a good one. It's a very mysterious sort of thing. What do you think about it? I like it. Um, there's several implications. Um, if you were, if he was referring to making himself, um, you know, like us, it kind of reminds me of that scripture. You know, he he took the very nature of a servant, uh, obedient to death, even death on a cross. Yeah, Philippians two. And so we have we have a lot of. Um, we have a lot of impact with that, but also I like how it says that he might make us what he is. Yeah. And so obviously I don't think he's implying that we could become God, but I think he is implying that we could become like clean or like, yeah. you know, holy, holy. And, and, and so, yeah. yeah. And then, okay. So I, um, I'll read the second quote cause they kind of blend a little bit. Yeah. Even on the cross, he did not hide himself from sight. Rather, he made all creation witness to the presence of its maker. Yeah. I think this one reminds me, like, it's very, this quote's very worshipful, I feel like. I Like, I feel like that could be part of a worship song or something. But it reminds me a lot of, like, um, when I survey the wondrous cross or the wonderful cross as some people might know it, but just like, you know, we're the whole realm of nature mind that were an offering far too small. Like Jesus is 
like proclaiming himself to be the maker and the creator of everything, even though he's dying on a cross. He's like completely visible to everyone and everything. Well, it, I mean, it stands it stands to kind of make his point in a way that mm-hmm. um, the symbol of Christianity is Jesus on the cross for most people. Yeah. And if you think about it, um, we have... Hold on one second, Zach. Is that Hold your on. car alarm? I actually hear it. I don't know. Hold on. Jesse, is that our car? We... Will you please go check? Never mind, it turned off. My car was going off in the parking lot at Starbucks while I was working in the drive-thru window. And I had my keys in my pocket. And somebody was like, that car alarm is going off. And then I was like, yeah, I know. And then I stuck my key out the window and, like, stopped it. <laughs> so and they were like, oh. Uh, my keys are... <laughs> I'm sorry. My keys are laying right here. So could uh, I don't know if there's a way to make a note. I'll do it. I'll make a note. Okay. Hold on one second. Give me a minute here. We'll get. Uh, actually, you know what? Here, um, we don't have a we don't have a thing yet for this. You gonna make a note, or do you need me to? No, I can do it. Hold on. Okay. We're at like a minute five, so I'm gonna say like around an hour six five car alarm. I'm putting it in the episode notes. All right. There you go. Okay. So Ooh. let me re- let me kind of like rewind back here and we'll take it. Um so the thing I the point I was trying to make is that if the image of um Christ on the cross made it through to mm-hmm. to modern time, then his point is made that God's visage through Jesus who is also a man but also God yeah. has been solidified that 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 image of the maker has been solidified on the cross. So he is correct. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he so um, he made himself visible. God who was kind of hidden in creation and like even the Psalms like talk about, you know, clouds of darkness, like hiding the throne from sight as no one has ever seen God. Well, the first time we did get to see God was in Jesus, and then he visibly died on a cross for us in front of us. You know, I think that's pretty um, telling about who God is. And again, if, you know, you're going to be Arian um, and not believe that he was God, then maybe the whole dying on the cross thing isn't as big a deal because it's just a guy or just an angel like doing it up there. Right. So. All right, moving on. Next All right. quote. Next quote is a little bit longer, but it's pretty interesting. It's also from the incarnation work. It says, dead men cannot take effective action. Their power of influence on others lasts only till the grave. Deeds and actions that energize others belong only to the living. Well, then look at the facts in this case. The Savior is working mightily among men. Every day, he is invisibly persuading numbers of people all over the world, both within and beyond the Greek-speaking world, to accept his faith and be obedient to his teaching. 
Can anyone in the face of this still doubt that he has risen and lives, or rather that he is himself the life? Does a dead man prick the consciences of men? Ah, so so that is both a reference to both the Holy Spirit and the yeah. Jesus, like, eternally living. Yeah, so if mm-hmm. Jesus is not alive, hasn't been resurrected, how is he out there, like, reaching the lost? You know, how are people right. out there becoming convinced to convert to Christianity because this they know the Savior is out there? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a really good way to um, that was a really good defense of that. It's very apologetic if you think yes. about it. Yeah. If if Jesus is dead and just like stayed dead, how is he still working all the time? Um so right, making a case that Jesus lives and is working in others is basically the definition of the Holy Spirit. In a lot yeah, of ways. that's but, true. Uh, but I think that's interesting because if he can prove that Jesus lives and that Jesus is working through us, through the Holy Spirit, then that means that Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is God, which is why yeah. I assume why he thinks that. Yeah. And so, um, so okay, fourth, fourth quote, super great. Uh, third quote, this is amazing. But fourth quote, you cannot put straight in others what is warped in yourself. Yeah. I find that interesting because um, it goes back to the, you know, of course, we always say, judge not least ye be judged. Yeah. But. um, Oh, yeah. You can't pull the speck out of your brother's eye if you haven't pulled the blank out of your own. Right. And so. um, So I think that I think that that is a significant uh, point. Um. And so I guess you, you're going to, you're going to assume that Jesus is a man, but that he is completely sinless. And mm-hmm. so he can set to right what is warped yeah. because he has not warped himself. But I don't even know what, con- in what context he's referring to. He might even be referring to the Arians in this. I, I don't, I, I'm not sure, but I'm going to assume he means that because Jesus being, Completely yeah. God and completely man could do that work of unwarping us. Yeah, he. It's like, um, we need Jesus to set us straight because right. we can't do it ourselves. It's like, you know, if you had brain damage or something, and you right. were trying to determine if you had brain damage, it would be very hard because you're using the brain that, uh, that has been damaged, you know, or like if you're trying to like, if you start going blind and then you try to look in your eye to see if anything's messed up there, but you can't see. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, right. So I, I mean, again, Great truth from my man Ananias. Ananias. Athanasius. Ananias. That's another guy, I think. Yeah, we can talk about him. Yeah. Athanasius, excuse Mm -hmm. me. All right, last quote. If the world is against the truth, then I am against the world. Or in the Greek, contra mundum. Interesting. Yep. That's what I was talking about when I said that it would be hard to have a... Have a person like that. 
Um, yeah. If the world is against the truth, then I am against the world. Yeah. Gosh, the Im- the implication of that. I think that's a very bold thing to say, and it's very tough for people to want to say that right now. But I think as Christians, a lot of times that's what we're called to. I mean, there's that one scripture where Jesus said, I came to cause a fire of division. You remember that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's in... It's in Matthew. He says, I think it's in Matthew. Uh, It's a, I I can quote it, but let me, um, let me, let's see if I can't drag it up. Yes, it's Matthew 10. Uh, Let's go to Matthew 10 really quick. Um, One second. Matthew 10, I believe starting in verse 34. Let me check. Um, we'll go with the ESV on this one. Since we're at our computers, we don't, we don't flip. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it says, do not think that I have come to bring peace in Mm -hmm. earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Mm -hmm. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so he's saying saying there's going to be division when you stand Mm -hmm. with with the truth. That's right. With Christ. There's going to be division. And we've seen it already. There's, There's a lot of people who are ready to basically like to disown family members for the, the political belief system. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's not, it's not a good time in America. People are loving their point of view more than their own families. And, but, but, but this is, this is my one caveat on the point of view argument. Yeah. Because even Christians have their point of view, but here's the thing, regardless of Christians, regardless of Christians have their point of view or not, they're, there has to be a universal truth. That's right. This this is my this is my one point I have rubbed up against with other members of my family. They do not agree. A lot of people believe in my truth. Mm-hmm. That's like the, the phrase. But or, what if my truth is completely yeah. contradictory to someone else's truth? They can't both be right objectively. Right. Yeah. And so and so when when Jesus says I am the way, the truth, and the life, mm-hmm. what he's saying is like The, the idea of the of the even the idea of truth is like hard to really wrap your head around but just imagine like the idea that like believing in something is correct yes to me that like might be a small smidgen of what truth is but like um when when you hear this phrase and I just posted this to Facebook live as we're recording this, if the world is against the truth, then I am against the world. And so what we see in modern time is that people are against the truth a lot yeah. of the time. And and most be, of the world, I think, in one way or another, eventually is against the truth. It's because they're yeah. redefining what truth is. Yes. They don't want to hear the, the what, what's yeah. the phrase? God's honest truth. Yeah. 
Well, that's <laughs> been the issue since the Garden of Eden. I mean, when you're talking about eating of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, basically what you're doing by eating of that fruit is you're saying, I get to define right and wrong for myself. And that's what human beings want to do. And right. that is our sinful nature, um, as opposed to letting God define right and wrong. And God defines right and wrong pretty much everything that we need to know for life in the scriptures. Um, and so I think when you're talking about human beings that are not following the Holy Spirit and not um, not surrendering to Jesus lordship, they're eventually like, sure, maybe a lot of the things that Jesus says about loving others um, mm. are very popular culturally right now. Like Jesus said, love others or even like, you know, kind of interpreting the things about not judging how they want to interpret. That's all fine culturally. But then when it comes against something that the world finds good, that's when there's going to be friction. Um, right, exactly. And you're going to have to either stand with the truth or with the world on some of those things. And so, you, you know, good for Athanasius for being okay with being against the world sometimes because, you know, Jesus has told us that the world is going to be against us because the world is against him. And so I think at some point all of us have to be able to say, like, I'm going to stand for the truth on this. There you go. There you go. I like it. So Athanasius, pretty great guy, pretty interesting dude. Contramundum. So, um, yeah, I'm glad we got a chance to look at this guy. Uh, Thank you guys for tuning in. We're sad that Bob is not a part of this episode. We miss you, Bob. We're going to hope to hear from him again uh, coming up uh, next time we record. So we will keep you guys informed of when that will be. We're sorry that the schedule's a little cattywampus, but we will uh, continue on. All right, So uh, check us out on Place to Get Your Podcasts, and we will catch you next time. Peace.